Hi, I'm Pawi, and you're listening to Rappler Podcast. You're listening to Hustles Inside the Industry, where we talk to professionals and find out how they got here, why they're doing what they do, and what it takes to do it. As always, this is Pawi, and I'm continuing our Filipino-American mini-series while, while I'm here in New York. And last week, we had the filmmakers of Yellow Rose, a new film starring Leia Salonga and Eva Noblezada. It's streaming now in the Philippines via I Want TFC and KTX.ph. But this week, we're actually going to go from entertainment to sports. And joining me today, we have Mike Leopando. He's the Senior Director of Business Operations and Insights for the NBA team, the Milwaukee Bucks. So welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks for having me, Bowie. Really excited to be here. Cool. Where are you calling from? I am calling from the cold Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Okay. That makes sense. I'd, I'd expect you to be uh, where, where your team is. Or I don't know. Are they on, are they on the road right now? <laughs> uh, are, they are on a th- three-game road trip right now. Uh, I did not get to travel with the team, unfortunately. They're down <laughs> in the south where it's warm, so I'm kind of jealous about that. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you know, perhaps uh, your position doesn't particularly travel with the team. I don't know too much about the sports business. So all of our listeners know about the NBA, and all of them know about the Bucks for sure, and Giannis. <laughs> but, um, but what exactly uh, do you bring? You come from a business analytics uh, background going into the team. So explain uh, what your job is and what your department. Yeah, no. So, I mean, if I had to explain it in one short sentence, I would say that analytics work revolves around using data to create stories, which allow the decision makers to generate ideas that could help grow the business, right? So. That would be a very quick explanation of what we do. But I think for the purpose of this exercise, let's let's expound on this sure. a little bit and, and tie it back to sports business. So as a business, a sports team's main goal is to keep fans engaged at all times. So whether that's going uh, or whether that's getting fans to attend games, buy our merchandise, or even just post stuff on social media, which I'm sure you see a lot of, <laughs> we want to make sure that they feel strongly connected to our team. So my team's role is to collect as much data as possible. And then once we collect the data, we package or or visualize that in in a more digestible way so that then we could present our findings and recommendations to key decision makers. So internally, we find ways to help motivate and incent our our staff, so mostly the ticket sales staff, to, to be more efficient and productive so that they could sell more tickets. But then externally, we try to find ways to inspire our fans to keep attending or watching our games and invite their friends and family while they're at it. And so it's mostly really trying to understand the customer and looking at their behaviors and then finding ways to really engage them in a way where we could maximize that. You know, actually, all of this makes uh, complete sense to me because I think um, uh, what that is a testament to is how uh, ubiquitous analytics is overall, like across all industries. So obviously, we're very familiar uh, with the importance of that here at Rappler. But let's take it all the way back first, because in our podcast, we like to definitely go into like the more personal stories, um, the more, your more aspirational thinking. So, you know, I, I, I know that you... You also grew up in like the Philippines. So how did you end up both in the U.S. and in this particular job position pursuing a sports business career? 
I was trained to be a banker. My dad was an investment banker. Uh, he actually still is. Uh, in his retirement, he's, he's a consultant. But So growing up, I thought I was going to be an investment banker. Uh, I did a couple of internships while I was an undergrad. Uh, I liked it. Uh, I enjoyed it. But I felt like there was something else that I could be doing. Funny enough, I was part of the Intramurals Athletics Council at Ateneo. Uh, and we were organizing these big events. You know, we had 160 plus basketball teams. And wow. if you combine the volleyball and the futsal teams, we had, I think, maybe about 50 to 60 teams, right? And I think that's when I first realized that, okay, you know what? There's a possibility of me going into something like this after undergrad. Cool. And, and so I started looking into it and I realized that uh, there weren't really a lot of opportunities back in, in the Philippines. Um, there were some, but it was just really hard to get those roles. And so I told my, my parents that I was going to move to New York in order to pursue that goal. Oh, wh- why New York in particular? I, I think as a Filipino, you think about, okay, well, where am I going to move if I go to U- the U.S.? And, and you just think, well, New York's the biggest, well, not the biggest, but it's, it's the most popular city in the world. It's known as a city that never sleeps. Yep. And so you just think, and, and of course, the New York sports teams, even though they don't always do well, mm-hmm. they still... They're still in the media. So people talk about them. And I guess to a certain extent, as a Filipino, I just wanted to be able to say that I lived in New York. So, so, so yeah, so I, I moved there and I thought it was going to be easy. It, it really isn't. It, you know, if you want to get into sports, you have to have a network. And so it was really tough and nobody knew at the nail. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so I applied and applied and I couldn't get in. And finally, I found this role at Adidas as a receptionist. And I applied and believe it or not, I actually was rejected twice before I applied the third time and, wow. and got in. It was a really good experience for me, though. It was very, very humbling. Uh, I came in as this cocky, fresh grad thinking I could get any job I wanted. And a year later, I was taking on a role that, that wasn't what I envisioned initially. But it was good, though, because I knew I had to work hard. And in the five years at Adidas, I was able to, to move up uh, into a sales role. And then after that, into a strategy and business development role. And then finally, before I left, I did marketing operations. So it was a very good five years because I was able to touch several factors of the business. But then while I was there, I also started working with people with graduate degrees. And I realized that if I wanted, if I really wanted to go into to real like not real sports but mm-hmm. to go into the team side or i mm. needed to go back to school and that's when i decided to leave adidas and and go to duke for for my mba sure, sure. so uh, i think people back home know oh, so that you, you graduated with an with an mba specifically not necessarily like a sports management you got a yeah i wanted MBA degree yeah i wanted a general mba degree uh because i wanted the flexibility to do several things right and if sports for instance didn't work out i wanted to be able to to use the mba degree to find a job in a different industry and um so yeah so i and you know as a filipino i knew of duke because i watched oh yeah college basketball (laughs) all the time yes right and 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 duke was just such a perfect fit for me so i went there is it a fuqua is is how you pronounce it so i i went there i talk to as many people as possible and expanded my network so that I could meet as many people as possible and let them know that I was interested in sports because it's very, very important in sports for you to keep your name 
top of mind for people because you just never know when the openings are going to pop up. And if they're thinking about you when they find out that there's a role, they'll probably just call you and tell you, hey, I remember having this conversation with you. Why don't we? Yeah. So, so yeah. So between my first year and second year, I interned with the Atlanta Hawks uh, on the business side. So with their business analytics team. And, and I learned a lot from that because they had, they were one of the few teams that had a very developed team. Um, they had people who specifically did different aspects of, of analytics. And so I was able to sit with them and learn um, all the different things that they did. And yeah, and then I came back for my second year and I applied for, for roles again. And eventually I was able to, to find this, this opening with the Milwaukee Bucks. And uh, I actually, it's funny because I applied for it. I didn't hear anything from them. But then I was going to a conference at MIT, the Sloan Sports nice. Con- uh, Analytics Sloan, Conference. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. And I, I sent a, a cold email to the hiring manager, who, as it turns out, actually also went to Fuqua. And so I was able to use that connection to, to get him to, to read my email and reach out to me and tell me, hey, I'm going to be at that conference as well. And let's, let's chat then. Um, I met him there. Yeah. I it was a thirty minute conversation around lunchtime. We were right next to to um, the lunch table where they had all those uh, lunch boxes, and he we stood right next to the wall because he was charging his phone. So like I had my pad on one hand yeah, and yeah. a lunch box in one hand, and I was talking to him, not realizing that that was my first interview. Interesting. Yeah, when you have conversations with people, you don't really think it's an interview, but mm-hmm. it is. Uh, it's their way to get to know you. And sometimes yeah. they just don't have time. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was my first interview. I flew to Israel for a trek with my classmates a couple days later. Mm-hmm. And he wanted an interview with me. So at 11.30 p.m. in Israel, wow. um, and I was deathly sick, Yeah, yeah. Uh, I couldn't yeah. hear all of my classmates playing uh, drinking games outside. Um, I was on a 45-minute long-distance call with oh with with that guy. Um, and, and that was my second interview. And then, and then, yeah. And then I interviewed again after that. And then eventually they, they offered nice. me the job. You know, I, I like your story cause a few things pop, pop out. Number one is, um, it's definitely like a gradual progression. You know, we're talking years in the making, we're talking a lot of hard work and then you kind of, uh, validating the value of, uh, what you mentioned is networking. Right. And even, right. even the idea that, a casual conversation with somebody um, is networking, not not in like an icky way, but in a way that, as you mentioned, uh, kind of, I think your key message is like to keep your name top of mind. Um, And then I guess lastly, how you're talking about like the the perception of like New York being like this epicenter and yet you kind of, uh, you're able to, like I haven't been to you know, North Carolina or like Milwaukee or even Atlanta. So now you, you, you've kind of, you, you kind of followed the opportunities. Um, how long have you been working uh, with the Bucks now? How long has it been? So I've been with the Bucks for six and a half years now. Uh, it's crazy wow. to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was in 2014 when I started with them. So talking now about, about the present, you mentioned uh, earlier how your role is key to basically like all the other like operations of the team. And you mentioned ticket sales, right? And that's that's a very interesting topic right now. So can you just uh, talk about how specifically now in 2021, you know, the teams are back 
in their state in their respective stadiums it's not the bubble anymore but there's still no audiences watching so how has the nba like shifted uh this season in their business obviously you know ticket sales is the lifeblood of of the business because you get several thousands of people coming to games and and now that that's gone uh we're, we're currently working with the city to figure out when it would be safe for us to start bringing people back and what the capacity would be but as of right now we don't have uh, uh you know we, we don't have an answer for that yet and so the the few things that we've done is one trying to find more creative ways to have our partners so our sponsors brands mm-hmm. be ex- uh, visible still mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. tv and so uh, i think you've noticed that a lot of teams have massive tarps where the seats are yeah, so that yeah, then yeah. you can see the logo. So, so that's one thing. The other thing is a lot of the teams are looking into trying to grow their online retail business because while we do have our, our pro shops in the arena and those are still open, uh, not as many people go there anymore. You don't get the foot traffic of, of a game day where you've got you know 17,000 <laughs> people who see lights and they're it's like, really, oh, I yeah. want to walk in and check it out. And so... We, we try to drive our people to our online shop so that people could buy our merchandise still. I think the other piece of it is just really trying to understand what it's going to look like when people are back mm-hmm. in the arena. So, you know, people are not going to want to be in lines, be, you know, waiting, waiting to get in and just a foot away from a stranger. And mm-hmm. so how could we minimize that part of the experience how could we make it as frictionless as possible um so whether that's trying to get into the arena or waiting for waiting to buy food at the concession stands how can we kind of digitize some of those right right? right. or 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 inform them so that they know when they could come in and not have to worry about being exposed to whatever Mm -hmm. elements they're afraid of so yeah so i think those are probably the three things that we're doing right now uh the hard part about trying to anticipate what the business is going to look like when the fans are back is that, again, we don't know how many people are going to be back. And so we need to do a lot of sensitivity analyses, just mm-hmm. trying to figure out, well, if we have 2,000 people versus 4,000 people versus 8,000 people, what is ticket revenue going to look like? What would uh, the manifest look like? So like the seats, how far are they going to be from each other? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. It's a lot of extra work. But we want to make sure that we're doing it right. So uh, I think overall, it's just going to be worth it when people are back because at least they're going to feel safe. You know, there there's so, there's so many layers to this. And um, you obviously work for a very specific team, which is, you know, a private business in and of itself. And that's under, uh, you know, the association that is the NBA, which which is also a business. So I guess my question to you is, to what extent are business operations and your decisions... Uh, your your decision making process like independent of the overall league, and to what extent are you all kind of like guided on like a macro level? Like all teams are operating this way, and so on and so forth. So there there are definitely rules and guidelines that the NBA like the league sets, right? And and the good thing, the one thing I really really like about the NBA in general is that they do a great job of bringing teams together so that they could compare notes and and talk about best practices and you know just develop relationships with each other so maybe not on the basketball side because you know you don't want <laughs> basketball operations team sharing information on yeah. how they're evaluating players right, right. but yeah but when you're on the business side 
I'm in Milwaukee, so I'm not competing with the Chicago Bulls. I mean, maybe a sure. little bit because we're 90 miles away from each other, but okay. but their market is different from our market. And so it doesn't hurt us to share our best practices with the Chicago Bulls and vice versa. Hmm. So yeah, so we have meetings all the time with them right, just to right. talk about what what it, what the things are that they're doing and what we could apply uh, to us. Uh, in terms of the guidelines, I mean, it depends on what part of the business that is, but for but but they do set them. So, uh, for instance, you know when we're marketing, uh, we're we have a radius that we're allowed to market to, and then outside of that, then um, other teams should have those markets. And so, so like that's one of exa- one example. But we are allowed to be as creative as possible, and and if if it's something that hasn't been done before, it might make sense for us to reach out to somebody from the league just to make sure that it's okay. But yeah, but if it's something small, like creating ticket packages, uh, yeah, it, it, we, we have the freedom to, to create and launch them. Cool. I mean, it, it's a franchise model, right? Yes. Yes. It is. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Like similarly to, to like the, the players' careers themselves, but do you find uh, some mobility uh, in terms of like people like you, for example, like where who knows next season you might, uh, you might work for the Hawks or like something or like people in your uh, position are like, you know, are, are mobile, you know, and, and kind of open to those opportunities. So I think it depends on the department. Okay. I would say if you're in sales, uh, so ticket sales or partnership sales, it's more likely for you to, to move from one team to another. But that's because these sales teams are massive. Uh, but yeah. when you're talking about teams like analytics and IT and um, finance, they don't move as much from one team to another. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny you bring up the the idea of moving from one team to another, yeah, though, yeah. because you know internally we've joked about, oh, well, what if what if I got traded to this? Yeah, team I know. They wanted <laughs> somebody from a different department. I so. was just thinking that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would never happen because yeah. we're not under contract. But, but yeah, but it's it's just funny to think about those things. But no, I think for analytics, we just we just don't move as much. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of want to like nerd out right now, so to speak. But what's kind of uh, funny about your analogy is it's almost like the the gamification of of the business. You're like, oh, what if I get traded? You know, imagine like if if we were like the the league itself. But then. But then it, it, it's a little meta because um, just talking about trading and whatnot is actually like the businessification of the sport, right? I mean, like to, like the, when you when you boil it down to its basics, you know, the sport is you know like five on five basketball, you know, shooting into a hoop. But we're just like at this level now in in the industry where where um, NBA and sports business is so huge. So um, my question for you now is again. Analytics has pervaded every industry. So what is the state of, of analytics in the NBA and on professional sports? How is it integrated? Um, not only into, we talked a lot about ticket sales, but just into like the overall sport and like the other aspects of it. There are so many different aspects of, of analytics within sports. There's, uh, you know, looking at just overall player performance to... That's insane, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then everyone and then talks really, about it. Like your lay person will will drop stats, you know? It's just a right. common thing now. Right. But the thing that people don't realize is that it's not if, when you're on the basketball side, it's not just 
just player uh, player performance analytics. You also look at sports science. You know, mm. so we have okay. people on yeah. our team who try to understand how a human body works and how they could help them be stronger and faster. So, so, so cool. yeah, so it, it's it's crazy to think about, but yeah, I mean, they're understanding how our players move and how to make them more efficient and and how to get them to, you know, like when they're taking charges and those kinds of, thi- yeah, kind of things. Yeah. So, so yeah, and, and again, I don't, I'm, I'm not in that part of the business, so I can't talk about the specifics, but, but yeah, but that's, that's really something that I feel like the regular fan overlooks. Uh, but, but it's such a massive part of, of how the team performs because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, if you've got talent, you've got talent and you can yeah. win, but you also have to keep your players healthy. Yeah. And, and if you don't look at those numbers and, and find ways to keep them healthy, then, then yeah, like you're still going to lose because you don't have players if, if they're injured. Just going back to what you said earlier about um, how you've pivoted uh, in this uh, 2021 season, but it all started with kind of like the data collecting, right? And, and probably how the NBA bubble performed. Um, what are the main insights uh, you've dug from that? Uh, how has the market kind of responded uh, to, to the NBA? And what are kind of like the opportunities there now for uh, the business uh, in the near future, as you said, like how people are going to consume this. Uh, we we've sent out surveys, and and people are, in general, they're they missed sports, and they were very very excited when they found out that we were going to have the bubble and that they were going to get to play games again. Mm-hmm. And if you check social media, you'll see fans posting about wanting to come to games again soon. Uh, and so I don't think. It, it, the demand is going to be affected negatively by it. Uh, if anything, I think people are going to be a lot more excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for us, our job is one to make sure that we follow all the protocols and and make sure that people are safe, and and then be able to communicate that with our fans so that they know that it's safe to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, but but overall, yeah, I mean, it's it's been people people have. People have stated that that they they're really really excited to come back. Okay. You know, with yeah. that said, you have a few fans who are a little bit more concerned, and that's yeah. totally understandable um, given the situation. Uh, and so I think, yeah, like that's why we want to make sure that that we just make it as safe as possible, so yeah. that eventually maybe they'll realize that that it is safe to come back to games and and, and yeah. enjoy the games again. Are, are there any particular like uh, new behaviors or even like old kind of kinks that you've discovered in like the, the old way of doing things? Because I think across the board, uh, when I have these kinds of interviews with people, uh, the pandemic presents itself as somewhat of like of a reckoning of like certain things that weren't actually working as efficiently as, as they should have. Um, so I'm wondering like if there are any, if there were any lessons to be learned as we transition into the future of of how people uh, consume NBA basketball, what are some of the improvements that you're looking forward to? Yeah, I think for us, we've realized that we definitely want to keep the fans who are watching online or or on TV a lot, like keep them more engaged. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, we've seen this before the pandemic where, you know, people are consuming sports uh, using multiple screens. So they'll have the game on TV, <laughs> yeah, and then and then they'll have 
whether it's Twitter or yeah. or just the stats on their phone. Yeah. And and sometimes they've got multiple screens for some of the games. And so for us is how can we make sure that that you know when they have these multiple screens that they have our game on one of their screens mm. so that they're watching. And because they are watching, um, how can we make sure that that you know that, that we are able to you know how some of these teams are coming up with ways in their apps to to have games and people can predict what's going to happen to the game and, and i think overall like people just enjoy doing that because they want to feel like they're a part of the experience and because they're not at the games anymore and they can't clap or or sometimes boo the referees, yeah um what is it that we can do in order Red. to even when they're watching from home feel like they're there we're thinking about ways to to enhance our mobile app so that people are in our app and whether that's answering nice. trivia questions or making predictions, they could do that. And then, yeah, just, just posting things on, on social mm. media where people can really interact with, with our content. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and just like a, a slight uh, added question, uh, th- did online internet uh, viewing like, uh, like skyrocket in the, in the pandemic? I would say that, yeah. I mean, I think, and the the great thing about the bubble was that we had games at different times of the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah and allowed cool. our fans internationally to tune into games without having to be. I remember when I was a kid, I would in the yeah. playoffs, I would yeah. I would wake up at three in the we morning had to, wake to watch up. games. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah. So with because of the bubble, I, I think we were able to gain more fans that way because there were fans who weren't willing to wake up that early um, and they were able to watch during the day. So yes, I think overall the engagement was better uh, online for sure. Uh, we're, we're actually wrapping up quite nicely here. So I want to now zero back in into uh, uh, your exact work and your niche. And so let me ask you, what, what's the future of uh, business analytics and sports? Are we seeing Are we seeing like a continual increase in these kinds of jobs and opportunities or even like you yourself you took an MBA program at Duke are are we seeing more programs for for specifically this kind of work for sure yes so when i started in 2014 i think the average headcount per team was maybe two two and a half people <laughs> doing analytics uh, i believe we're Damn. up to about six and a half or seven now right. and and it continues to grow and uh, some of those roles that are popping up right now are focused on either market research or um, marketing automation or um, just overall research and innovation. So, so yeah, so those are some of the roles that didn't exist a few years ago, but now some of these teams are really looking into understanding the consumers in a more advanced way so that then we could communicate with them uh, in a way that would actually resonate well. Yeah. Right. So we don't want generic messages anymore. We want to make sure that when you see a message from mm-hmm. us, you feel like you're talking to somebody who knows you. Yeah. It's not just a, hey, fan. It's going to be, hey, Pauly. This yeah, is yeah, the yeah. greeting. Right? And, and that's just the beginning of it. And then knowing, knowing what your tendencies are. So if you like jerseys or if you like a specific player, then, then yeah, we, we know that your favorite player is, let's say, you know, Giannis. So we can mm-hmm. just say, hey, Powie, we have the new Giannis jersey. Nice. Uh, come to our <laughs> store and, and buy it. So, so yeah, so I think those are some of the things that, that are definitely growing within mm-hmm. the analytics space in sports. Mm-hmm. And 
and I, I just think that it's going to continue growing. And, and hopefully, you know, fingers crossed in, in the next couple of years, uh, we go from six and a half, seven people to on average, maybe 10 or 12. Right, right. right. And do you find that uh, this, this like little fraternity or community that you're in, uh, do you find it to be uh, quite diverse? Because you yourself, you thought you were going to go into um, investment banking. Um, so do you find like some of your colleagues just come from like these these really like um, left field places because again this is this is kind of like democratizing like the the sports industry because when you think sports you think it's like oh you have to be athletic or whatnot do you do you find people coming from different specialties and backgrounds like coming together because of this kind of stuff oh definitely I think because it was new a few years ago people had to find analytics folks from other industries so so right. yeah so it's definitely <laughs> so it's definitely very very diverse and yeah i mean i i think that it's it needs to be diverse because we're look we're constantly looking at different aspects of the business and so we need people who have experience in you know if we're doing marketing analytics we need somebody who has marketing experience if yeah. we're looking into pricing and inventory management we need somebody who's got uh, an econ- uh, economics background. So, yeah. so yeah. So we definitely cool. try to keep it as diverse as possible, but also look for people with with technical skills um, yeah. because that's that's really important for us to be able to get our work done. Um, are you learning anything, for example, from from the esports industry? Right? Are are there is there any are there any lessons to adopt from there? It's funny you mentioned that because you know we do have an esports team on on <laughs> our on our yeah oh. we we own one. Yeah, so we the NBA the recently so entered the esports. Yeah, yeah, we we have NBA two K cool. um, or a two K league. Sorry, so that's that's yeah. what we call it. So so yeah, so it, interestingly, wow, when we first started our team, <laughs> uh, we didn't have people analyzing players, yeah. and our our uh, gaming team asked my team to help them evaluate our players or the the. The prospects. Right. So we did a little bit of player analytics, but not on the real like basketball side. It's more on the gaming side. The two K business is is a real business, yeah, and absolutely. there's real money behind that business. It has a, a market that's slight, like like younger than than the mm-hmm. market for the NBA, mm-hmm. and so we're we're seeing uh, we're seeing those fans, and we're starting to to engage with them a little bit more yeah. as well. And so, so yeah, and, and of course, hopefully we're able to to convince them that, hey, you know, you like gaming, but you should like yeah. basketball too. Uh, at the start of lockdown where, where there were no sports, I believe, I, I think I can recall, like a lot of people were watching stream, <laughs> streamers of uh, 2K and stuff. I think I, even I was, because you were just craving that experience right. somewhat. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I mean, yeah. you know, like the NBA is... You've got the elite of the like the most elite of the elite athletes, and so I think people understand that not everybody's going to be a basketball player, an NBA player, yeah, yeah. and and gaming I think gets you close enough to feeling like okay, I can do this too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it, it, it's it's totally great. Okay, so so that that was a, a fantastic interview. Uh, any last bits of advice to any of our listeners looking to break into the business of sports? I think first thing is I'll always go back to the networking thing. Uh, if you find people who are willing to chat with you, definitely chat with them. But come prepared with questions. Do a little bit of research so that you can ask them real questions. Because if you want people to to remember you, uh, you want to be able to ask them good questions and follow up questions. Because 
that's that's how they'll know that you are analytic uh, like you you you're analytical and that that you're able to come up with with interesting questions that might lead to to good answers awesome okay so no more questions your honor okay we're <laughs> gonna wrap things up now with our play of the week we talked a lot about work now let's talk about play any fun activities or recommendations for our listeners to unwind from the busyness of business what you got mike what do i have so for me i mean i've got two 90 pound fluffy dogs <laughs> that need a lot of exercise and so for the last few months, I've just been going out there and and collecting miles. Uh, I think I walk about five miles per per day now, nice. which is which is great exercise, and also it's just great to breathe some fresh air. <laughs> it, you know, you I don't think you realize how much how 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 good it feels to breathe fresh air until uh, you go out there and actually do it. So yeah, so yeah. So my recommendation is do that, and then I think you know while you're out there, you get to think about other things don't think about work think about what you want to do over the weekend or or where you want to go when all the, the pandemic is over um and uh just relax um yeah i do i do enjoy me some walking too uh i normally for for my play of the week i normally like to theme my play of plays of the week with uh with uh the theme of the episode i'm not gonna do that this time just because this one i just have to say this one but um in terms of like the shows i've been watching Attack on Titan, uh, the the anime that that's been yeah that's been going on for like I, I think like ten years now. So it's almost had like this like Game of Thrones level anticipation. It's on its final season and it's basically fulfilling the the show's promise in in the ways that Game of Thrones might have not. Um, but yeah. anyway, Attack on Titan. If there's like if for anyone out there who's like not as into anime, this is probably as like mainstream as it gets anyway. If you watch anime when you're younger and you're looking for an anime to watch, it's probably Attack on Titan. It's crazy. It's like weird because it's like about like giant people eating little people and like or eating regular people and the regular people are trying to survive and it's kind of like steampunky. But trust me, it all starts to make sense in the final <laughs> season. So yeah, Attack on Attack on Titan, it's it was worth the wait. Anyway, thanks again, Mike. Um last plugs. How how can people uh, follow you and obviously your business? I'm sure they've heard of <laughs> the Bucks. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I I think I'm not hard to find online. Uh just mm-hmm. names Mike Leopando. So I, I don't post a lot of content. I do have my two dogs have an Instagram account. Nice. <laughs> yeah, what are you? Um, they're called uh, the Dukes of Goodland. So, <laughs> so yeah, but uh, they've got, you know, 27 and a half thousand followers. So it's, it's wow. a pretty good following. But, but yeah, but that's my way of, of having some fun uh, online uh, without having to post content about me. So right. they post about their, their uh, adventures, I guess. So, so I guess if I had to plug anything, it would be, no, that's amazing. <laughs> it would be their Instagram I'm going to check them out right now. Okay. Okay. That's it, Mike. Um, again, thanks. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. All right, thanks, Bowie. Thanks for having me. And thank you out there for listening. If you haven't already, please stay tuned to Hustle Inside the Industry on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you find your podcasts. Um, you can also leave us a rating on the Apple Store. That really helps. So, so please do that if you really want to support us. And also check out all the other Rappler podcasts. Of course, don't forget to hit that subscribe button.